our, our church is really blessed by the kinds of people that we have in it. And one of the ways I think that we're richly blessed is that um, we, we have a, a really a large number of fellows that uh, have either dedicated all of their lives or a large portion of their lives to preaching. And, uh, you know, I, Billy Harlow, David White, Herb Smith, guy that just read the scripture, John Wilkins. And uh, one of the things that I am uh, thankful for and blessed by and encouraged with uh, are these guys. And uh, uh, John uh, preached up in a, in a part of the world. I don't think we quite intersected each other, but as I, you know that I went to high school in the D.C. area, and John, uh, maybe a year or so before that, left the area to, to preach elsewhere, but uh, was up in that area as well. And we nearly kind of intersected uh, up on the northeast outside of D.C. He was in Laurel, and, and I was in Bowie at the time. But uh, uh, since he and Gail have come, and I, I can say the same thing about Billy and about about David and Pam, uh, you know, they have just been such a great blessing to our church. Uh, the teaching, the, the spirit, the prayers, uh, the encouragement uh, have just really, really been wonderful. And, uh, you know, when I grow up, I won't be like John Wilkins. That's bottom line. Uh, I want to I be like John. Let's pray. Father, uh, so grateful for, for these men and others who, along with their wives, have dedicated such big portions of their life to expanding the borders of your kingdom and have done so in, in good times and, and in bad times, in valleys and mountains and dark places and places of light. And in all of these places, Father, they spoke your word. It was a word that you placed upon their heart, a word that they studied a word that they, they contemplated and reflected on. And, and I pray tonight, Father, that you bless them as just this integral part of the, of the core, the, the spiritual core of our church family. Thank you for them. And thank you for James, who has written to us again such profound pieces of Scripture that first found their birth in your heart and have been transmitted to us, Father, for us not only to be edified and to be enlightened, but to be changed, to be revolutionized, to, to be retooled in the way that we live and in, in the way that, that we respond to all of the things around us in culture. Thank, thank you, Father, for these words. We pray, as we always pray before we go into study, that you will give us eyes to see it and ears to hear it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, an experience that I think every family has regardless of where they are and, and, and really uh, what they might be doing, is the experience of impatient and, and bored children when it comes to a long trip. My family was no different. Uh, we've never really lived very close to our parents. Uh, I was one of those guys that when I turned 18, I went to, we were living in the D.C. area. I wanted to come back to Texas. Uh, I was 18. I moved like 1,500 miles from my parents, and that's about as close as I lived to them until I was about 40 years old, and then um, uh, I lived, you know, about 70 miles away. But we were always making the, these, these trips, and, and, and when we, we traveled by car, when it was possible to go and see family, whether it was Ellen's parents or my parents, it would always take a long, long time, and the inevitable, oft-repeated question was, 
are we there yet? And I would say something, you know, after about the 80th time, I would say something like, uh, does it look like it? <laughs> you know, have I stopped the car? Have we gotten out? You know, I mean, you, you just find ways, creative ways. But my kids were clever, and the uh, are we there yet was replaced with how much longer. And, I mean, you know how that goes. For most humans, patience is difficult because waiting is torture. Waiting is torture in, in our world. There's an urban legend that says we spend about three years of our lifetime waiting. Probably not true, but it sounds great. Uh, empirically, though, in a study that came out uh, probably a, a year or so ago, uh, New Yorkers spend, on average, in a line nearly seven minutes, whatever line it might be, to get gas, to get groceries, at the bank, or wherever it might be, six minutes, 51 seconds. The most hated line to stand and wait in? The grocery store. And who doesn't get that? Country with the longest wait line is Russia. Timex, uh, Timex, the watch company, did a survey of how long people would wait before taking action in a variety of settings. This was interesting. How long do you think we, we sit at a green light before we honk at the person in front of us to get going? For some of you, it's immediately. For some of you, it's honking to get out of the way. 13 seconds. We'll wait 13 seconds and then we'll honk our horn at the person who doesn't get going at a green light. 26 seconds before we ask people to lower their voices in a movie theater. 26 seconds before we take someone's seat who has walked away from it. <laughs> 26 seconds. Guy gets up, you're in the seat. 45 seconds before we ask a person who is talking uh, too loud on a cell phone to pipe down. 13 minutes for a table at a restaurant. 20 minutes for a blind date to show up. I, that, that one is a mystery. 20 minutes for a blind date to show up. 20 minutes, people will wait. You know, when it comes to Thanksgiving dinner, it's all about family, it's all about football, but it's really about the turkey. <laughs> 20 minutes you'll wait for the last person to show up at a Thanksgiving dinner before starting. <laughs> if, you're not, if you're 30 minutes late, maybe you'll get a wishbone. But this patience and this waiting, this is where James takes us next. Not all the important spiritual battles that we fight, that we live through, that we experience, not all of the important spiritual battles will be in a dramatic circumstance. Most of the important spiritual battles are going to be in the day-to-day -day living as a disciple. The important spiritual battle is how you live every second of your life. Every day you're faced with countless choices between heaven and hell and how you're going to respond. And who and where you are in a million years will be based more on the ordinary than on the spectacular. Who you are as a disciple moves beyond your baptism, beyond that initial commitment to God, to how you live every next day of your life. Think about it this way. Think about a marriage. A great marriage doesn't rise or fall on its first day, but on every minute you live in it after that, right? It's about growing. It's about becoming a better spouse. And that, the, 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 the starting gate is that wedding ceremony. But a great marriage is built on how you live every day after that, the commitments and how they are lived out and the responses to all of the issues that come up in a relationship like that. It was psychologically hard for a, 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 a farmer... To, to figure out, actually, I'm, 
got my page mixed up here. We've been, now, what we've been doing is looking at a letter as we roll out the 2016 thing. We're looking at Amplify. And what we've been saying is that to amplify something is to make it big and to make it stand out. To amplify your voice is to make it large and to make it heard over all of the other voices. To amplify our faith is to make it hard to ignore, to call attention to it. Now, in terms of what James is saying about an amplified faith in this particular uh, text, a faith that produces a patient and persevering and long-suffering character stands out in modern Western culture. If you're a patient person, if you're long-suffering, if you persevere patiently through different kinds of situations and settings, you are an individual that will stand out in this culture. And so what James does here is to help us see patience in three big arenas of life. It's with time, patience with people, and patience with God. So the first is time. America has been blessed through the years with a lot of great storytellers. Mark Twain, Will Rogers, uh, one of the great ones in my lifetime, Bill Cosby, one of the great storytellers. Uh, Many of us uh, probably remember one of the most famous stories that he would tell. It It was really how he made his fame. It was the telling of the Noah story. And for the first time in my life, in listening to Bill Cosby talk about what it was like to be Noah and to be building an ark during a period of time in which no one had ever seen rain, let alone this world-engulfing flood, no one had a clue as to what all of this was, he began to show the patience that Noah had. There was a, in fact, there was a line when he was talking about Noah that uh, you know he's up there and he's sort of being made fun of, but he's persevering and he's, pers- he, he's persevering through the building project even though it's taking a long time. And somebody, one of the neighbors, yells up, "You know, how's it going up there, Tarzan?" In Hebrews chapter eleven, verse seven, the writer says, "By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family." For Noah, faith and patience went hand in hand, and Noah is not the only one. James says that all who live in the knowledge of God, verse 7 of chapter 5, are to be patient. To be patient. And the particular target of the patience in this text is the second coming of Jesus. Now, Jesus compares the waiting for Christ's return with that of a farmer waiting for the crops to come. He says in verse 8, See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. There is, uh, in, in the ancient Jewish writings, there's uh, this thing called Talmud, and inside of Talmud there is Mishnah, and inside of Mishnah there are all these, these, these tracts, or these tractates on the oral tradition. And there's one in particular that uh, was part of the teaching uh, about farming and farm life in ancient Israel, and the Mishnah Tanit mentions the two rainy seasons that were typical in the Middle East, one in the autumn and one in the spring. And it came like clockwork. And because it came like clockwork, the farmer ordered his life around the reins. And one of the things that... uh, Somehow these pages just got all kind of messed up. Oh, here we go. (laughs) I'm being patient, and I'm asking you to be patient. (laughs) And so here are these farmers that are, are, are ordering their life between the two rainy seasons. It was psychologically hard. Because the farmer was helpless when it comes to the rains. There was nothing he could do to speed it up. He could only live patiently and do what farmers are supposed to do in the surety that the rains are going to come. And so you have this new farmer. He could buy a piece of of ground on Monday. He could remove the stones from the ground on Tuesday. He could till and plow the ground on Wednesday. 
plant the seed on Thursday, wait for the rains to come and grow the plants on Friday. But if he did not have patience and it did not happen, well, when it didn't happen, he could become a carpenter on Saturday. But then he would miss the rain. And in missing the rain, he would miss the crops. What he waits for and what he orders his life around, what he lives in reference to, James says, will come. And the same applies to disciples living in what James refers to, uh, re- refers to in the preceding passage as the last days. Remember, we talked about the, the, that this morning. Disciples of Jesus, us, we believe that our Lord will return one day. And because that's true, we have to answer a, a question every day. Do I choose to stay in a spiritual setting that the secular culture thinks is crazy? Because of the truth that the Christ is returning, the Messiah will come. There is uh, an, an end to all that we know as the Messiah comes and everything is renewed and resurrection and judgment and eternity and all of that. Do I choose to stay in the spiritual reality, even though it is a long time in coming, a spiritual reality, a spiritual setting that understands that and believes that and orders its life around it, even when the secular culture says, that's really crazy to live that way. When we do, we are granted opportunities to minister to people for the sake of Jesus. A, a fellow that, uh, I, I, in fact, he's written uh, one of the best biogra- autobiographies you'll ever read. A fellow by the name of Malcolm Muggeridge uh, was, was c- kind of converted later in life as an editor for Punch Magazine in the UK. A very, very brilliant guy. Uh, very, very... Uh, Uh, profound writer as well. Uh, Later in his life, he wrote a book on Mother Teresa entitled Something Beautiful for God. Maybe you've read it. In a moment of honesty, his honesty about his own life, about the decisions he had made in his life, about staying in a, a cultural setting and doing things that he was called to do for the sake of those people in that setting was India. Um, He sort of reflects back on that and compares his own decisions, which he is not proud of, with that of Mother Teresa. And he writes, I ran away and stayed away. Mother Teresa moved in and stayed. That was the difference. She, a nun, rather slightly built, with a few rupees in her pocket, not particularly clever or particularly gifted in the arts of persuasion, just with this Christian love shining about her, in her heart, on her lips just prepared to follow her Lord and in accordance with His instructions, regard every derelict left to die on the streets as Him. To hear in the cry of every abandoned child, even in the tiny squeak of the discarded fetus, the cry of the Bethlehem child. To recognize in every leper's stumps the hands which once touched heads and made them calm, brought back health to sick flesh and twisted limbs. As for my expiations on Bengal's wretched social conditions, I regret to say that I doubt whether in any divine accounting they will equal one single quizzical half-smile bestowed by Mother Teresa on a street urchin who happened to catch her eye. And what Muggeridge is basically saying there is is that because she was patient and doing something, that the world didn't understand, that did not make sense to just about the majority of the people that lived on this planet. She was able to stand stand in those thin places between life and death for people on behalf of God. 
And Muggeridge is saying, I, I didn't have that patience. I ran and I stayed away. And what James says is we wait patiently until the day we see Jesus face to face. We choose patiently to remain and, and to order our lives within the truths of Jesus' first and second comings. And in so doing, we are granted opportunities to attest to the greatness of the faith we live. Patience. And that's what an amplified faith looks like. But it's not only time, time between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, that we have to learn this patience, but it's also with, with people. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I like the old country. I'm not much of a guy with the, the new country, but recently heard a song. I had never heard it before. There's a, when I say it, you'll recognize the song and, and the tagline. But, um, you know, one of the, uh, the, 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 the phrases in the, in the song talks about how God is great and people are crazy. Now, in terms of your daily allotment of aggravation and annoyance, what percentage of it do people, crazy people, contribute? James says in verse 9, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. Now, the word grumble is a pretty descriptive word of what was going on inside of this church that James is trying to address. You know, when you grumble about somebody or something, you're trying to find fault. You, you're scorning it. You're trying to tear it down. But it's also to be filled with the self. It's also to be filled with the self. The reason you grumble is because you can't escape yourself. How else do you explain, when we go back to the Old Testament, how else do you explain Israel with a daily visible manifestation of the miracles of God became grumblers against God? It was because they couldn't escape the need to put their needs at the center. They couldn't get their own needs out of the way and it led to undermining God Himself with a golden calf. And the judgment that fell on them for that is the danger that disciples of Jesus must consider. James says, consider the prophets for the remedy to the problem of grumbling. Now, he, you know, he doesn't name one. He says, you know, take the prophets. He doesn't really name one in particular. And so he probably means, you know, consider all of them. But since we don't have time for that, you know, let's just consider Hosea just for a second. Hosea, as you know the story, was told by God to marry a sexually immoral woman a, a, a woman where it was impossible for he, her to remain faithful to him. And he was to marry this woman, and in the course of their marriage, she was unfaithful to him, and he would bring her back, and unfaithful to him, and he would bring her back, and unfaithful to him, and bring her back. And it was just, it was just this series of infidelity, and infidelity, and infidelity. But, but Hosea kept bringing Gomer back. And, and he does so, and he suffers through the many infidelities to be able to hold that relationship together. And God says to Hosea, that's what it's like for me to continue to be patient and loving with humans who chase an idol every chance they get. And so James says, patience with people. Don't grumble. Don't tear them down. Don't, don't, don't scorn them. Don't, don't, don't find fault in everything that they do. But get yourself out of the way. And, getting, and in getting yourself out of the way, consider that it's God and His patience that is the model and the course and the path. You know, when we find ourselves being tempted to get impatient with somebody and to grumble and to scorn and to tear them down, 
one of the things that we do is we think about the prophets. We think about Hosea, and we think about how he illustrates God's never-ending, without-ceasing grace and patience with us. And if he is patient with us, and we are the recipient of that blessing of patience for our own good and our own flourishing, can we not pass that on in blessing to someone else? The remedy for grumbling against other people and to develop patience is to remember the patience God exhibits towards all of us who are in Christ. And then the last one, and we're through, is patience with God. Now that seems a, a bit funny, but when we stop just for a moment to think about it, is it isn't it easy to lose patience with God? A little transparency here. I... I, I think that probably, probably the biggest question that I have about God is why the delay in the second coming? Why the delay? I, I, I seriously struggle with impatience for all of the evil and all of the, the death and all of the, the violence and the racism and the biases and the meanness and the, and, and the problems of the world that is full of thorns and thistles why delay the coming? And so I think that there is a, a part of this that fits into each of us. Patience with God. And so he says in verse 11, As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Well, you know the story of Job. In a fallen world, humans struggle to believe. Will human patience, will human patience be enough to hold on to God when there is every reason to let go? And Job is struggling, and Job is struggling, and Job is struggling. In his struggles, he's, he's debating his friends who are giving him these foolish answers and answers that don't really makes sense, and they would never want those answers to apply to their own life if they really thought about it very deeply. But the one thing that Job doesn't do, even though he's struggling with, with his life, taking the turn that it did, and wondering in the mystery of it all, in the pain and the misery of it all, and, and the gore of it all, why God, why God, why God? But he has burned the bridge to everything else, and there's only God. And even though he's angry with God, there's only God. And Job asks to face God. In, a, in, a, in this cosmic courtroom. And he gets his wish. And God speaks to him out of this whirlwind and just begins to ask questions and ask questions and ask questions. And what Job got was an eyeful of, of, of God. And in this eyeful of God, Job received, it completely turned his life. And that happens today when people get an eyeful of God. I have my questions, and I'm wondering, God, why tarry? Why wait? Why delay? Why not now? Why not now? I'm one of those guys that wakes up every morning happy, but also at the same time a little disappointed that Jesus didn't come in the middle of the night. We struggle with that. But then we get an eyeful of God. And James says it this way, verse 11, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. 
And that's what Job gets. And that's what Mark gets. And that's what we all get. Is an eye full of God. And in our impatience and our misunderstandings and our disappointments with God, when we get an eye full of God and God reveals Himself in ways that we've never seen Him before, like Isaiah, like Job, like all of the others, like Peter, like all of the others, and we see that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And we get a, a, just a, an inkling of the sense of the patience that He has with us. Where that compassion and that mercy has to come into play every single day. Then we realize that, that God didn't really lose patience with humans. And God did not grumble against humans but chose instead to save humans. To save humans. And when we are really sensitive to who we are deep down in our hearts and the grace, the amount of grace, the, the kind of grace that comes into our life that, that saves us and not only saves us, but changes us and not only changes us, but blesses us into the kind of human beings that we were always intended to be, where we flourish whether we're in mountains on top of the mountains or in the valley, where we flourish, whether it's dark or lightness, lightness because of God filling that God-shaped hole in our heart, then we see. Then we see. The compassion and the mercy changes us. And revolutionizes us. And amplifies that part of our, our faith where we become patient in this time that we live, these last days. We become, we become patient with people, understanding that it's only by going into their lives that there's an opportunity for us to minister to them and to share the words of faith that changed their life like it's changed ours. To share with them how they build a relationship, a relationship with God the Father, not a legalistic relationship, but a familial relationship where they experience that love every day that changes you and changes you for in all of these ways that you can't even describe. We have, we have patience with people. But then we sit back as well because we've gotten ourselves out of the way and we allow God to be God. And we begin to find patience with God knowing that He's full of mercy and compassion, that He has our best interests at heart and that He does love us and in His infinite wisdom and in His infinite power is doing the perfect. One of the things that I've discovered over the years, even though I do pray for wisdom, is that the data does not always help. The data doesn't always... You think about a, a, a time of suffering, and we think that we have to know the answers why to the suffering, the data. We have to have the input, the data, as to why this suffering took place in our life, why it, why it occurred, why it came about. And one of the things I've discovered through the years is that you can have all of the data, you can understand absolutely to the nth degree why something happened, and it doesn't take away the suffering. You're still going to suffer. But what God blesses us with is strength, and peace, and compassion, and mercy. And we find ourselves settling into that for the long haul. And because we've settled into it, we do persevere. And we do suffer for a long time. And we are patient. Maybe you've, you've never taken advantage of the patience that God has been 
bestowing on your life day after day after day after day after day. And you've never allowed His, His Spirit to come into your life having your sins washed away and confessing that you know, it's time to change life and to change direction. And for, for Jesus to be the Lord of your life and not yourself, to take your hands off of the management of the affairs of your own life. And maybe you've, you've been, been putting that patience to the test. Tonight, don't do it any longer. But give yourself to the one who is full of compassion and mercy. And perhaps there are, you know, some have been disciples for a very long time and we struggle at different seasons of our life with different types of issues in life and different struggles in life. And maybe there are just some things with some people or with some time or even with God that you're struggling with some impatience and you just need the prayers of the church to help you through that period of time. Well, tonight is the time to let those needs be known. And if that describes you in any way, some of our shepherds will be down here at the front. We want you to come down and talk to them as we stand and Dave leads us in this song. Let's stand and praise God together.